Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Over the past seven years of interviewing lots of people with visual limitations for Eyes on Success, we've certainly talked with people who have been involved in unusual and surprising activities. But this week is one that I wouldn't have dreamed of. I wouldn't have thought of playing tennis if you had a visual impairment or were totally blind. Well, having limited vision is no longer an excuse for not getting out on the court and enjoying this sport with your friends. We'll speak with Brooke Severance, who runs a program through Court 16 in Brooklyn, New York, which teaches people with visual impairments to play tennis with only minor modifications to the rules and the equipment. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Brooke Severance. Tennis uh, is a blueprint for life, and it can show you physical strength, mental strength, and uh, help you build long-standing relationships. Well, you know, my parents were both very active tennis players. My dad finally stopped playing tennis when he was in his late 80s, and he made lifelong friends on the tennis court. Yeah, it's great. I'm very fortunate to to say that I, I did get a chance to play a little in college competitively, and I'm happy to say that I've turned a passion into a job. Oh, that's great if you can do that. And as we'll be seeing later in the show, you're now making this opportunity available to people who are visually impaired. But I think that sports in general come with those type of benefits. These team sports get you to interact with other people, to socialize, to make friends, and to have a special kind of bonding while you're doing something physical and exhilarating. You know, when I was a kid, we made some accommodations so I could play ball with my friends in the neighborhood. We played with larger balls, brighter balls, and it allowed me to participate in what everybody else in the neighborhood was doing. And if at the time my friends had been playing tennis, it would have been nice to be able to be included in that sport. Over the years, we've done a large number of episodes talking about various sports because of all of these other reasons that sports are good for people. You know, besides being good for your physical health, getting fit, there's social interactions, there's teamwork lessons that you can learn, and especially as a young person, being able to be part of your peer group in all of the activities that your friends and neighbors are involved in is really important to developing friendships and to just feeling like part of the group. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible by the Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2018 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria is at www.hadley.edu slash nvc. And by eSight, electronic glasses that help the legally blind see, be mobile, and engage in activities of daily living. More information about eSight can be found online at www.everyonedeservestosee.com.
let's start by meeting Brooke and learning about Court 16, the organization she works for. My name is Brooke Severance, and I am with Court 16. I'm a coach and a specialty programming coordinator. Right now, we're working on the visually impaired and blind tennis program. And how did you come to be in that position? I applied as a coach for a summer camp and liked it so much that I stayed on. From there, we wanted to reintroduce a program that the founder, Anthony Everard, started when they first opened a few years ago. He saw my philanthropic background with Habitat for Humanity and a few other organizations like the YWCA. Uh, And this program really interested me because I have friends and family who have some uh, sight problems. So he wanted me to take it on. Oh, so you don't have any vision problems yourself, but you've seen the issues that can come about when people do have visual problems. Yeah, and I want to make tennis accessible to everybody. It's been a really great cornerstone in my life, and it's given me more positive things than just tennis. You know, mental, physical, um, social aspects of my life have all been improved because of tennis. And that's one of the benefits of sports that people don't often talk about, right? I mean, they talk about the physical activity and the team spirit and stuff, but, you know, it's, it's very much of a social outlet for a lot of people, a way to meet people and do something enjoyable with people of like mind. Yeah, it's great. And that's one of our selling points for the visually impaired and, and blind athletes, um, a lot of who feel a little bit more tentative than the average kid, which is our, our target market right now. The availability of a sport to kind of bridge some gaps and give them the right platform to build confidence and learn the right technique and meet new people, you know, get more flexible, improve motor skills. It's all all really great. So I'm not familiar with Court 16. Is this a gym facility that's just based in New York City or can people find it across the nation? Right now, we're only based in Brooklyn and Long Island City, Queens. We started as a passion project from Anthony Everard, who was from Brussels, Belgium. And he's been playing since he was three years old, and it really inspired him to create a a blueprint for life and remix tennis for everybody. So I gather this program for teaching people with visual impairments to play tennis is only part of what Court 16 does. What else do you do? We are a members-only kids club for tennis, but we also do adult, private, semi-private group lessons, birthday parties, camps, tournaments, movie nights, foam tennis, which is similar to our visually impaired tennis. Uh, It's on a smaller setting with a foam ball, and it turns into this big social outing for adults. We also do corporate events. You can rent out our space, so we're kind of a jack-of-all-trades. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is how blind and low vision people can play tennis and what they get from doing so. So I usually start out these interviews by asking people a little bit about the organization that they're with and the history of the organization, what they do, etc. But I am just amazed that blind people can play tennis, and that sounds kind of impossible to me. So I was wondering if you could describe how that's done. Uh, Right now, it started in Japan uh, back in the 80s. And it's slowly been making its way to the U.S. They use foam balls 
And right now we're using ones with a jingle bell inside so you can hear the ball coming when it bounces on the floor. Another option for a ball is a it has a ping pong ball in it with lead BBs and it rattles when it hits the floor. There's a little bit smaller rackets than an adult size regulation racket and the courts tend to be smaller depending on your site qualifications. Other than that, the only difference is we have tactile lines, so when you're moving around on the floor, you can feel it underfoot. So you've made a number of accommodations to make this possible. I guess having the foam balls slows down the game a little bit so people have a chance to hear the ball coming and react to it. It does, and it also, if you're a certain classification of sight, you can either have two to three bounces, depending if you're fully blind or have partial sight. That would make it a lot easier to determine the actual path of the ball. If you only hear one bounce, you don't really know which way it's going from there. Yeah. And we were able to extract a sample of what it sounds like playing tennis using the balls with the bells inside. So let's catch a little bit of a actual game. Sounds like somebody thought they made a point, but the other person managed to get over there and return it. You didn't think you were getting free tickets to a tennis game during this show, did you? Are these balls also higher contrast or brighter colors for people with partial vision? One of our positives that we can do is is modify the equipment depending on the person. The options are either a black ball, a yellow ball, or right now we're using yellow and red. And they're bigger, so they are easier to spot in the air as opposed to a regulation-sized tennis ball. How much bigger are they? Um, About twice the size, like the size of a, a softball. That's a big help. Yeah, I used to play, when I had partial vision, I used to play with a giant Frisbee. It was like two feet in diameter or so and bright yellow, and it was enough contrast so I could see it against the sky or against, you know, some dark trees in the background or something like that. So there are certain accommodations people can make visually and size-wise for these things. I hate to tell you this, Pete. It was a yellow background with all different rainbow colors on it. I guess my vision wasn't as good as I thought it was back then, (laughs) but it worked somehow. (laughs) The other thing I was thinking was that um, it would have been nice sometimes if that Frisbee was made of foam. It was actually a hard plastic, and if I missed or didn't see it coming, it uh, could leave a little bump on my noggin. Anyway, I was also interested, you said the racket was a little bit smaller, my natural inclination would have been to make the racket bigger so you had a better chance of hitting the ball and, you know, contacting with a bigger surface area. We have 23 and 25-inch rackets, which are International Blind Tennis Association, IBTA, regulation rackets. And they have a similar size head to a regulation racket, but their throat, the grip, is smaller, so it's closer to your body. You have not as long of a handle. Oh, and that probably makes it easier to swing it exactly where you think it's swinging. Yes. Oh, interesting. You know, the other thing I was thinking about that's kind of funny when you talk about the size of the racket, after I lost my vision, you know, my kids down in the basement wanted to play ping pong. 
And that was hard with a little paddle to hit that ball. And, you know, usually you just hear it on one bounce. So I took a knock hockey table, which is like two by three feet on a side. I would use that as my paddle. It was the funniest thing, but it kind of worked for playing with the kids. If you want to hear something really cool, one of our players who is going to be joining our program is fully blind. He has no sight, can't see a hand in front of his face, but he plays ping pong without any adaptations. With a regular paddle? As far as I know, yes. Wow. It was all Pete could do to keep up with our six-year-old kid when he was using a paddle that was almost as big as the table. Wow. (laughs) It's still fun, though. You should get out there and be active as long as you can. And we certainly had fun playing ping pong. I used to also play football with our uh, son out in the front yard. Of course, he was always the receiver, and I would have him run these interesting patterns, you know, go out for two, left for three, and when I count to seven, I'll throw the ball, and he'd be running down one, two, three, four, so I could hear where he was at all times, and then I would pitch the ball to him. He became a very good receiver because my throw was not always all that accurate. This actually became a family affair because Pete could throw the ball and did pretty well with that. And Brian could catch the ball. And then if it was just him and daddy, he'd have to run all the way back with the ball. But he preferred it when mommy was there too. And so he would throw the ball back to me. Well, it didn't take him very long to develop a pretty good arm. And he threw that ball really hard. So I would be outside with a baseball mitt to protect my hand when I was trying to catch the football that our kid had thrown back. And then I'd pass it over to Pete and he'd throw it. Brian would catch it and whiz it back to me. It was quite an arrangement. So there are many ways of having fun with sports, even with a visual impairment, if you're willing to make some modifications and just have some fun with it. So this must be happening all around the world. I mean, you said this started in Japan in the 80s. Where can people find groups like this? Are they really all over the world? They are there in Argentina, Australia, Italy, Mexico, Spain, the United Kingdom, Florida, Texas. Uh, We have found a few camps that use it in New York, and they're trying to bring it to the Paralympics. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. There's a Congress that meets up to determine the rules for the entire internationally speaking. And a lot of these countries also do tournaments. So if people are enjoying it that much and want to train and and treat it like any other sport, you you can go as recreational or competitive as you like. So you raised the point of the rules. What kind of modifications are there to the rules besides you can have additional bounces? Besides that, there are not too many. It's debated whether people should be allowed to volley or not. Currently, they're not allowed to volley, except in Australia. When you say volley, meaning what? Volleying is when the ball doesn't bounce and you hit the ball in the air. Uh, without it touching your side of the court. I guess the debate is a disadvantage is the other person, your opponent, can't track the ball when it hits your side. So you talked about the raised lines marking off the various areas, including the boundary of the court. 
when I think of a normal tennis court, the lines are only about three or four inches across. And if somebody's running to chase the ball, their stride is a whole lot longer than that. How do you make it so that people can actually feel the difference between the various areas of the court? Internationally, they use rope under a segment of tape that allows the player to feel it underfoot. Typically, the stride isn't as long as you think. And on top of that, once you have an idea of the direction of the court you're facing, it's once it's relatively easy to find a point on the line and then figure out where you are. Another thing that we're doing that's a little innovative and different because because our courts are not able to, to have tape on them, we're working with a system to try to redo the tactile line system. And that includes a rubber-type, diamond-plated floor mat that, like in a gym that I've cut up to be the exact specification of the lines. Yeah, I guess you want to leave the gym in a good condition for the, the rest of your users, right? Yeah, of course. What is the demographic of your um, participants in this program, the age range and all? Currently, they're between mid-20s and mid-50s. 20s and 30s tend to be the most active. So there's running groups, tandem bike groups, swimming groups that meet up. And we at Court 16 are able to integrate those athletic abilities if they've been out of the gym or the field for long enough and they're on the older side, we have to get them back into a rhythm. We're talking about maybe doing a kids group if we have enough interested kids. And are you the only teacher? I am not. All of our coaches have been trained to make these adaptations more accessible for visually impaired. At Court 16, they're really good about making a good experience for each individual person. So our training with the kids and other adults have allowed them to be really receptive to the training that I've taught them for this new program. That's pretty cool. When we first heard about blind tennis, we were very dubious, but you make it sound like it's just so obvious. Why wouldn't you be able to do that? Yeah, why not? Now, where there's a will, there's a way, right? I mean, people figure out ways of doing things if they really want to do something, right? Yeah, of course. People always make the adaptations necessary to be involved and to get where they want to go. You talked about people playing tennis with visual impairments around the world. Do people get together occasionally for tournaments in special places? They do. There's a few in Spain, um, Australia, Japan. Uh, it's our goal to, once we have the footing in New York and the interest, we want to maybe have our own tournament here. It'd be great to get more uh, momentum for this amazing sport in the U.S., yeah, well, hopefully we can help get the word out and more people will know about it and be asking about opportunities to play tennis, even if they have a visual impairment. That really sounds great. Yeah, they're looking. There's a few people in Florida and Texas, specifically McAllen, Texas and uh, Mexico that offer these services. You know, a few years ago, we got to go see the World Championship of Beep Baseball which is played by visually impaired people. And it was phenomenal. There were athletes from all over this country. There was a Canadian team. There were teams from Asia. And all of these people had come from, you know, some of them 
great distances to get together and have some exercise, have some fun, meet people from around the world. It was great. It's really cool. I like the international community it creates. And on top of that, it's really brought a lot of new life in an area that maybe wasn't so readily available to our kids here, our smaller athletes. Um, the visually impaired people who were here a few years ago for their summer program um, were able to talk during camp and share their life experiences and how it is to be visually impaired in New York City which really opened the eyes of a lot of kids. It was awesome to watch. Yeah, great. So I can imagine if a visually impaired person has never played tennis before and they don't know what this is all about, they might be a little reticent to get involved. Are there lessons that you give people to sort of coach them through the initial processes and you know, give them a little confidence that they can do this? Yeah. So when someone first gets here, we walk them around the facility to make sure they're comfortable. And depending on their needs, we address those. Um, we sit them down at our table and go over the equipment. They get to feel, touch, play with the equipment. Um, we show them a flat version of the court that they get to run their fingers on the lines and get a start to get a mental map of what it looks like. We can go over the rules of tennis if they've never played you know, what their past experience is with being active. Um, if they've never been active, that's okay. We'll, we'll help them through it. We can use tactile modeling and um, coactive movement, whatever they need to help them get to the level they want to get to. Um, then we'll bring them onto the court and walk them on the lines, have them walk back and forth, start to get an idea from the distance from one set of lines to another, show them the grip on the racket, and then start to have them do target finding depending on what their abilities are. So, for example, I had a girl the other day who I could drop a ball and she could hit it, and we were able to go right from the start. Um, some other people, we might be on the ground rolling a ball towards targets and starting to get them the proper swing. So we, we are very able to, to modify this on individual needs. Oh, that's great. So no matter what their ability is, you'll get them up the learning curve so they can just hop onto the court eventually and play a real game of tennis. Neat. Yeah. Our, our coaches are very good about that. You know, the other thing you mentioned that was kind of interesting was the uh, raised maps of the court that you were using to show people what the court was like. When we moved into this house last year, Nancy did a similar thing to show me what was around the neighborhood in terms of all the streets and also the layout of the house. She made maps with raised plastic uh, pens and I could tactily feel the layout of the house and the streets around our house. And that was very useful. And then when I got outside and actually walked the streets and got into the house and started bouncing into walls, of course, I had a better shot at knowing where I was and not crashing into stuff. So I guess people really ought to check this out. Tennis may not be impossible as I might have thought it was for the visually impaired. Sounds like a great opportunity. Tennis is not. Uh, Sound of Tennis at Court 16 is a perfect place to get active, meet new people, master the game, and fall in love with it. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about playing tennis with a visual impairment and about Court 16 and its programs in particular. 
So if people would like to find out more about Court 16 and the programs for the visually impaired playing tennis that you have there, how would they go about that? So they can contact me and the team at our phone number, which is 718-875-5550. Or you can come in and stop by. We are located in Brooklyn at 526 Baltic Street, Brooklyn, New York. Or you can email me directly at brooke at court16.com. Can you spell that? Yeah, B-R-O-O-K-E at C-O-U-R-T, the number 16.com. And we have an Instagram that's uh, court16tennis, Facebook that's court16, and a website court16.com has all of our information on that as well. So she rattled off all of these places you can find Court 16 on the web. And in that whole long string, she missed one, which is Twitter. And their Twitter handle is at Court 16 Tennis. You mentioned an international association for blind tennis players. Can you repeat their name and give their contact information? Yeah, so the IBTA... Uh, is the International Blind Tennis Association, and that can be found online at ibta-takei.com. On there, there's international contacts, depending on where you are located. We also have the International Blind Tennis Congress. The first one was held in 2014. They can be contacted, the person who first ran it, by phone in McAllen, Texas at 956-331-3707. And if you go to the IBTA website, you'll find the complete rules for playing tennis with a visual impairment and lots of other information about the sport. As we mentioned earlier, we've done a number of episodes over the years about various types of sports and exercise programs. And it's too long of a list to give you each of those episodes here, but you can find them by using the handy search tool on our website and just enter the word sport or exercise. And you will find shows about distance running, competitive tandem bicycling, hiking, baseball, cricket, ice hockey, downhill and cross-country skiing, martial arts with and without weapons, and another sport that you might find surprising for the visually impaired, crossbow hunting. Anyway, we hope people are making use of that search tool because, you know, now after doing this show for seven years, there are over 375 episodes in our searchable archives, and you shouldn't have to go through them by hand, but we've covered virtually every topic. So if you just put in a search word or keyword or a show number into our search field, you'll find links to the audio and the show notes as well as a summary for episodes that match those criteria. And those show notes can be found with all the contact information for each show at www.eyesonsuccess.net. So make use of the show notes also. That's it for show number 1808. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about getting access to science publications with Graphiel. 
As a blind science student, Daniel Hayesh was having difficulty working with graphical data, figures, and charts found in scientific literature. We'll speak with him about the Graphiel Initiative, which he started, whose aim is to bring easy access of visual STEM materials to blind and visually impaired students by crowdsourcing expert volunteers. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success, or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.